it forces students to really reflect and that this brings about all the things that, that we hope that study abroad achieves, you know, this transformation, this inward thinking and, and engaging with other cultures. So I think to a T, you have that experience. So I say all that to say, you know, students going will have a really different cultural experience. They'll get to engage and see how a colonized country can be progressive in many ways in, in righting the wrongs of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Strive inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad, a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with World Strides, and I'm so excited about today's episode. Today, we'll be talking about New Zealand and the work that Education New Zealand is doing to move our field beyond perceptions of New Zealand as a country suitable for adventure seekers. We will discuss New Zealand as a diverse country with a strong bicultural heritage, rich ideals of social justice, and an ideal education abroad destination for students from marginalized backgrounds. I'm thrilled to be joined by my friend Du Bois Jennings, Director of Engagement at Education New Zealand. Prior to joining Education New Zealand, Du Bois held education abroad positions at the Institute for Study Abroad, Susquehanna University, and Hamilton College. He received his BA from Skidmore College and holds an MA in International Education and Training from SIT. You do not want to miss this episode. Du Bois, welcome. Thank you for being here. Kia ora. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Could you start by describing your role at Education New Zealand to us? As you mentioned, I'm Director of Engagement in North America, which you know, Education New Zealand is a New Zealand government agency responsible for promoting New Zealand as education destination. So our mandate is basically kindergarten through PhD. And broadly, we're just trying to get the word out about New Zealand as a study destination, trying to encourage as many US students to think about studying there. And my role is to really develop partnerships, work with institutions, government organizations, private and public organizations to find partnerships and ways and find people who align in, in some of our goals and trying to get students to New Zealand. Absolutely. Here, here. We at the Education Abroad Network and World Strides, we love New Zealand and are just, we're so excited to open it back up during this past academic year to Education Abroad. So we very much appreciate the work that you and your colleagues are doing. And we very much appreciate you all because you're, you're a provider that approves all New Zealand institutions. So yeah, we're very thankful for our partnership with you. Yes, sir, we do. Yes, sir, we do. And so to start this conversation, I, I want to ask you a very broad and, and relatively big question. So Du Bois, why should a student study abroad in New Zealand? The answer is New Zealand is on the surface or when you just look at it, it looks so similar to say, you know, even the US or the UK or Australia on its surface, it's like, oh, this is a safe place. Everybody speaks English there. It's it, a lot of things are familiar. You know, I can take classes and it, it kind of all, all makes sense to me. But underneath all of that, but what, which has been coming to the surface lately, doing, you know, they're calling it kind of a Maori renaissance is its rich bicultural heritage, which you mentioned in the beginning. And it, it couldn't be so much more different than other Western countries in the sense that their history and their finding document to TDTO Waitangi or the Treaty of Waitangi that kind of 
is the, the roots of the country and, and reflects in its society today of having, you know, the Maori, the indigenous people, the Maori people and Pakeha white settlers basically living, living together, but Maori really becoming a part of New Zealand and even based in my work, bringing that to the world. And, and that's what we really try to lead with. So I say all that to say, you know, students going will have a really different cultural experience. They'll get to engage and see how a colonized country can be progressive in many ways in, in righting the wrongs of the past with its indigenous people. And I want to give the caveat, not everything's perfect there. You know, people, the Maori people face a lot of the same issues and challenges that historically marginalized people do here. But in many ways, it's much more progressive from than here. And it's, it's really interesting to see that. And also, you can be assured that you're getting a culturally authentic, respectful, and appropriate engagement with the Maori people because of that deep partnership, you know, universities and the government have with Maori there that results in co-design and co-leadership of things relating to Maori. One of the things that I love about New Zealand is just the the array of choices. You know, there's, you know, so many universities and you know some of the top universities in the world and you know, just there's there are cities and, and smaller towns and the North Island versus the South Island. So I would love your insight on on how how should an advisor and a student look at New Zealand and how, how do they evaluate the different choices that that are available to students in New Zealand? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question. And I, I was at a fair at the University of Maryland a couple of weeks ago, and students asked me, "Well, well, what institution should I go to?" And you know, because the eight universities are comprehensive, you know, they're they're eight public in- institutions. They're huge, and they offer almost everything, right? And so, it what I think is it really comes down to what kind of environment do you want to be in as you mentioned you know there's very large cities there's Auckland you know one of the one of the largest a very multicultural city and then you have Christchurch which is a little bit more suburban it's a little quieter and then everything in the middle so it basically comes down to what kind of environment you want to be in but then the eight universities do have their specialties you know some have a very strong literature background. You know, others like Victoria Wellington that's in the capital, Wellington, has very strong poli-sci and law and those kind of courses. You know, Otago, the oldest institution in New Zealand, you know, has strong medical programs and literature programs. So each university is unique and different and offers something unique. So it really comes down to what kind of environment you want to be in and what your academic focus is. And that that's where I would kind of encourage advisors to to work with their students there. That could help them identify where New Zealand would be best for them. And it's a tiny country. You know, you can get around it pretty easily. You can see it all while you're there. But really aligning those academic goals, I think, is the best thing. Yeah, I love that. I think that that's very well said. And I often tell students that, you know, because our partners in New Zealand offer almost everything academically, it's it's as much of a vibes based decision yes, for students as yes. it is academics, like, <laughs> because there's so many different flavors in, in New Zealand. Part of your work is promoting and changing the understood narrative of, of studying abroad in New Zealand. For our listeners who might not yet have engaged with this topic very much, what can you tell us about the New Zealand brand when it comes to to international education and its evolution? I always tell this story when my supervisor, Amy Rutherford, first came to the U.S. about six or almost seven years ago. She would go into study abroad offices and they'd they'd say to her in New Zealand, oh, no, sorry, we we already have programs in Australia. Why would we send students to New Zealand? And so we really had to 
work hard at kind of separating ourselves and really finding a niche for ourselves in international education. And I think you mentioned in the beginning, it, New Zealand has, has been seen as a, you know, adventure seeking place and it with all of its beautiful nature and all of those kind of things. And yes, that's there, but we really um, thought that as the conversations about uh, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion were, were growing and really becoming the centerpiece of international education, practitioner and academic discourse, we were saying, well, hold on, New Zealand has a very unique perspective and unique voice in this and progressive in many ways, particularly around its relationship with its indigenous people. And then when you're talking about historically marginalized um, students in study abroad, I mean, indigenous students, you know, American Indians, Native Alaskans are even more marginalized in the, in the marginalized category. So we really saw this as a place that we can offer some understanding, some maybe best practices from the country and really carve that out as our niche and, and educating the field, but also learning from the field too of how to engage indigenous peoples and how to make those connections and, and develop programming and experiences um, or the approach of working with indigenous peoples to develop programming and experiences that would be beneficial for them in their communities. Yeah, that's fabulous. You know, I, w- I would love to hear from you about some examples about where, you know, where you've seen students and, and, and study abroad participants in particular engage with the Maori community in New Zealand. All the universities offer Maori culture courses that for of, of varying degrees. I'm thinking of one in particular right now because I was over there in October and I got to meet the professor and go to his marae on campus. Marae is the Maori meeting house um, for social and religious purposes. And I think almost every campus in New Zealand has a marae on campus, actually. But this particular one was at Auckland University of Technology, and it's led by Tai Tufa King, who is a professor in the Maori Studies Department, who has been teaching his Maori course, I believe it's called Noho Murai course for many years and has developed a strong following of not just U.S. students, but students from all over the world who studied abroad and took his course, who have gone back to their home countries and engaged with their indigenous people and started what he calls a Fano group. Fano means family and a Fano group just all over the world that all had this same experience of taking this course. But what the course does is a student takes part and becomes and is an active participant in Maori culture. Noho Murai actually means an overnight stay in the Murai. And that is a part of the class. You know, the students make their beds and everything and sleep in the Murai. But all through the guidance of Taitufa and his other colleagues who, you know, are part of the local iwi or the local tribe, guide the students and teach them you know, the, the students are participating in the culture and guides them through and, and helps them understand, you know, the significance of their gods and the carvings in the marae and, you know, the meals they have and how to respectfully address elders or where you should be standing and what you should be doing when you're having meetings with, with elders and those kind of things. So it's done from a position because it's led by those Maori practitioners and academics that it's, you know, a hundred percent authentic and appropriate way. And students are just so moved by this because a lot of Maori cultural values are based on yourself in relation to your community and your groups and the land that you come from. So by the mere fact of participating in this course, 
you are forced to reflect on yourself and where you come from and your family and your land. So this is what has inspired students to return saying, you know, when you introduce yourself and you give your uh, a traditional Maori introduction, you your name comes last. You talk about your relationship to the mountain and the river that you're from and then the people in your family. So it in creating that for myself or when the students do that, they really have to think, oh, I didn't even think about what's the closest mountain to me or the mountain that I affiliate to, what's the river to. So it forces students to really reflect. And that this brings about all the things that, that we hope that study abroad achieves, you know, this transformation, this inward thinking and, and engaging with other cultures. So I think to a T, you have that experience. Well, that's really interesting. That intentional focus on place and being and where you are and, and how that, that connects to to Maori identity and how that is really what we're all about international education. So yes. I really love that you shared that. It seems like there's a lot that the U.S. higher education system can learn from New Zealand. And, you know, you and I first got to know each other as road warriors, traveling to different universities here around the U.S. What advice would you have as someone who straddles both worlds, um, higher education here in the United States and in New Zealand, for our system here in the U.S. on, on steps they could take to, to be more inclusive and progressive in, in this in the same vein? Zach, I'm, I'm loving your questions. This is a great one and very, very timely for me because I just did a presentation on, on this topic at AIEA. And it, it was talking about partnerships and how, you know, we gave, you know, the history of New Zealand and the treaty, but how it manifests into international education and university partnerships. And what I've learned is just the importance of engaging with the community that you're hoping to to serve. So I think oftentimes in the U.S. when we try to de- design things in the spirit of inclusion and equity, we create these programs that don't necessarily serve the the community that we're hoping it serves. It doesn't speak to their goals. And what I've learned through working at Education New Zealand and through treaty obligation as a government agency is that anything we do for Maori or anything we we do, if we have an opportunity or a program, they need to be involved from the beginning, which seems like a no-brainer kind of thing, but it's actually the institutions I've worked at and stuff that, that doesn't always happen. But including them from the beginning and they're actually leading, they will decide what the goal should be for this kind of engagement and this kind of program. And if it speaks to something that aligns with their cultural values and goals. So, you know, I've learned it's a bad feeling, but I'm, I'm happy to have those experiences where we've come up with an idea or engaged with a partner here, gotten it down the road a little bit, and then come to our Maori colleagues saying, hey, we want to do this thing. And they're like, okay, so you just want us to come in and do something tokenistic or performative. And that was not the intention at all, but that's how it can it can come off. So it's just really instilled in me that bringing them in from the beginning and having them dictate kind of how it will look for them, because it, ultimately it's for the benefit of them. And I just wonder, and I'm searching, I'm giving these presentations and engaging with universities to see if that exists here, you know, are there programs that are reaching out to the community that they're serving? Are they bringing students in? Are they bringing elders of the students' communities in, in the design of these programs? You know, are, if you're trying to reach a group of marginalized students, are you incorporating the students in the program design? Are you incorporating their parents? Are you incorporating the important people in their community to make sure that the program you're designing really speaks to their, their goals and desired outcomes? 
all of us working in international education know that study abroad can be transformative with reflection and scaffolding of student experience. How can we as a field best prepare students to get the most out of their time abroad, specifically thinking through the lens of New Zealand as an inclusive destination? Pre-departure and re-entry are just so incredibly crucial. And I think one of the things that came out of COVID, I think a silver lining thing is is the just how ubiquitous and fast virtual became a thing. And I, I don't believe that virtual is a replacement for study abroad, but I do see there are benefits in, in virtual engagement. And one of them being there's opportunities to have students engage with the culture before they leave. And that's that's such an important thing for students to learn about the culture that they're about to step into. There are so many resources online, YouTube, but now we have Zoom, now we have interaction. You know, if you have a student about to go into a country, how can they learn about the culture and interact with its people before they go or set goals and set boundaries and, and learn about begin the journey of learning about, you know, the written and unwritten cultural practices that they're stepping into. And then, you know, having that immersive experience and then coming back, the reflection piece is just so critical. You know, what did you learn? And I use this word and I think about it a lot, a lot, but the, the metacognition of making students aware of not, they're not just learning about the culture that they're entering into. They're learning how to enter into other cultures. What did you do to get, what did you do to understand or make yourself understood? What were the cultural practices that you had to learn to enter into this community and be a participant? How can you apply that? Or what are the things that you can take so it's not cultural specific, but apply that in other situations, even when you're here back in the States? Thinking about you and, and, and your background, how have your experiences informed you in your work and what makes you passionate about this topic? I always wanted to go to Japan. I saw my first anime movie when I was in third grade and that aligned with a unit we were doing in social studies about Japan. And my, my parents and my brother will tell, tell you I will not shut up about Japan for about a good two months. So Japan was always a dream of mine to go there. And then when I was in college and undergrad, Japan was a little bit too expensive, but I, was, I had the privilege to go to London because my institution had a London program. And that just completely blew my mind because I had always been comfortable and taught by my parents and, and, and comfortable in my Black identity and knew, knew who I was. But going to London and having this image of what it was going to be, but then seeing Black people in London just really blew my mind. And I was like, oh my God, there's a whole other world out here about my racial identity that I know nothing about. What does that mean for me? I had all these questions, but you know, going back to my last answer, I had no way of processing it. I had no reentry program. I actually had to create my own reentry program unbeknownst to me through my coursework that I did in my major through an independent study because I had all these questions about black identity and nobody on my program, no professors, nobody who looked like me who could help me kind of sort these things out. So this was all going on in the back of my mind. And then after I graduated, I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time in Japan teaching English and living there. And there I really moved into a new level of understanding my Black identity in a global context. And I was very proud that I could be one of very few Black people in my city even and, and be 
somewhat of a representative and but be comfortable in explaining who I am, where I come from. No, I'm not an athlete. No, I'm not an entertainer. This is who I am. This is where I was educated. This is my interest in Japan. And then I had the experience of working with a, an, a black student who was studying abroad at the university that was affiliated with my um, elementary school. And his research topic for his study abroad course was the black experience in Japan. And he interviewed me and I mentored him a little bit. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was incredible. I love my little students, but how do I do this? I want to do more of this, working with students, particularly students of color, particularly black males, which I I learned, you know, we're so underrepresented in study abroad. Like, how how do I get more of, you know, students who look like me studying abroad? So that's what inspired me to come back and go to SIT, where I just learned a lot about my identity and positionality and working across cultures and how to develop tools and workshops and ways of engaging historically marginalized students around international education experiences. How can advisors best begin a dialogue with students of historically marginalized backgrounds around how to think about study abroad and how it can intersect with their identities? What I learned through my graduate internship, you know, shadowing someone in a study abroad office and and other advisors is, you know, I, I always thought advisors, though, we're supposed to give advice, you know, it's in the name, we're supposed to be telling them what to do and stuff, but never go in with a preconceived notion of of what the student is or what the student is hoping to accomplish. You have to come prepared. You should be doing as little talking as possible. The student should be doing all the talking. And that's kind of the approach that I would take is just ask them all these questions. And, And so many times I know we have in our mind, oh my gosh, this program would be so perfect for you. This program is great. Everything you're telling me this program is perfect for you. You can encourage them, you can share it with them, but it's ultimately their decision. So as advisors and as practitioners in this field, you know, we're so excited about study abroad because we've had these experiences. This is why we've gotten in the field, right? We want to make sure that the student has an amazing experience as we did. And so that sometimes it pushes us like, oh, you, you have to do this program. This will be perfect for you. I know it, but really listening to them. And, you know, if, if they have, certain goals or this program in their mind is perfect for them, working with them and making it perfect for them. But um, in terms of finding a destination, I loved the students who just came in, you know, who didn't know where they wanted to go, but had, you know, certain goals or certain professional goals and just asking as many questions about their goals and their life trajectory, where they wanted to go and connecting the dots with academic and cultural experiences in, in their destinations. The, the architecture of choice and how we, you know, as advisors of students can present um, choices to students in a way that empowers them yes. to make that right decision for them. Because I could not agree with you more. Absolutely. We can't tell them what to do, nor should we. Yeah. So I love, I love what you said there. And so shifting back to, to New Zealand specifically, what advice would you have for universities and study abroad offices who want to send more of their students to study abroad in New Zealand? Contact myself and Lewis at Education New Zealand. You go to New Zealand and you fall in love with it immediately. It's not hard to to sell New Zealand as a destination. But what's great about that is there is undoubtedly a person on your campus, and hopefully it's a faculty member, who has been to New Zealand and has had that experience and has connections there. I, I would say, you know, find if your campus or anyone on your campus has a, has a connection to New Zealand. 
first. But yeah, just engaging with Education New Zealand or going to the universities directly. You know, Kiwis are, are really nice people. Um, they're, they're happy to, to be engaged because, you know, it's, it, it can be forgotten about this. My, that, that same boss who was going to those study abroad offices hearing, well, you know, we already have programs in Australia. She went into an office where New Zealand wasn't even on the map. And that was a thing that, that happened. There's, it's a joke, but it happens. Um, literally not on the map. Yes. <laughs> literally left off of the map. So they, they get very happy. I, I feel like Kiwis are happy when people, you know, know about the country and know, know about the culture. And yeah, just, just taking the time to learn a little bit about the culture. You know, one of the, the things that I did when I first started, my colleagues, sent me a huge email full of all of these New Zealand cultural things to, to brush me up on. But the, the most important and valuable thing was something called the Aotearoa podcast. And I'm sorry to be promoting another podcast on your podcast. We approve it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, I think it's called the Aotearoa History Show. And it's, it's from, I think, the New Zealand government put it out. But it's basically the history of New Zealand from dinosaur times up until now. And that really opened my mind and helped me understand the country. And it will help you understand the culture so you know the right things or you can refer to things about the culture and the experience and what you're hoping to develop in a program when you're trying to, whether it be advise students or develop a program there. Yeah, you know, I, I think about, you know, New Zealand as a, being a, a relatively small population, you know, a relatively small country by population, but have done, you know, a, a fairly impressive job on, you know, creating a brand, not just around education, but around just in general. Yeah. And so just tapping into some of those resources to learn more about more about the place is great. What is one thing you wish more study abroad advisors knew about New Zealand? Our partnership with the Gilman Scholarship. I'm I'm surprised at how many people don't know that Education New Zealand and New Zealand was the first foreign country to sign the agreement with the Bureau of Education and Cultural Affairs around the Gilman Scholarship when we map and we bring funds to the table to increase the amount of Gilman scholarships awarded to New Zealand. So that's the biggest thing that we would like study abroad advisors to know about New Zealand. But the things that we touched on, you can study everything. And the rich and deep bicultural history there. Students will get a nice balance of Western things that are familiar to them, but a deep engagement in an indigenous culture and a perspective on social justice and equity that is so different from the likes of the US, the UK, Canada, what have you. It's a, a very different approach. And the thing that my colleagues told me about very early on, there's actually a book written about it, is the U.S. is really big on freedom. New Zealand is really big on fairness. Fairness is a big part of their culture. It's a big part of how their government operates. And to be in a country where fair is the, you know, the paramount ideal to live at really creates a different kind of environment that I think kind of gives hope. I, I feel like we're in a time in history, particularly in the United States, where things can be there. There's, you know, progress being made, but the clock's being wound back in many ways. And it's refreshing to be in a country where they're constantly seeking to be progressive and trying to push the needle forward in terms of things like social justice and equity. And, and 
study abroad advisors understanding that that's an experience a student can have and have their kind of mind changed on what's possible, I think is, is a good thing to articulate. And it does have all of the adventure seeking things. We have the Hobbitons, we have, you know, the Lord of the Rings, you can see the beautiful, it, it still has all of that, but that's like the icing on top of the, the really delicious cake. Well said. Yeah, I love that. Tip of the iceberg, if you will. So we at Teen are proud to offer opportunities at all eight institutions of higher education in New Zealand. I know you're not allowed to have favorites, Du Bois. Is there an institution or a location in New Zealand that you wish more study abroad advisors and students knew about? Because the country's so small, it's hard to say that. And I also have not been to every campus. I still haven't been to the University of, of Waikato in, in Hamilton, and which I'm very fascinated about, about because there's a lot of deep Maori history there. I think the first Maori king came from that area. So there's very deep Maori history in Hamilton, where the University of Waikato is. I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to name them all, but, but Christchurch too is just, you know, it's not a massive city, but it's a city with very important recent history given the you know the mosque attack and the Christchurch earthquake has really shaped the city in very interesting ways that students can interact with those recent historical events through coursework at either the University of Canterbury and Lincoln University which is a very interesting university because of its focus on agriculture and the land and viticulture and farming practices and stuff like that for such a small country, the the areas are really diverse. And then, you know, Auckland is completely different from Wellington, but they're the major cities of the country. So I don't know if I've answered your questions other than just rattle it off. And then myself, I haven't gone to a lot of the rural and suburban places too, which people say are beautiful and have their own kind of rich culture and vibe there. So I, 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 it's hard to answer that. And then how could I leave, leave off Dunedin, University of Otago, that, you know, that kind of old feeling university that looks like Hogwarts and, and the town of Dunedin modeled after Edinburgh, Scotland. So there's so much richness there in these different places that I'm sorry, it's hard to, to, to narrow it down on, on one or two. Yeah, that's great. I, I didn't know about the connection between Dunedin and, and Edinburgh. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. You know, one of the institutions that in New Zealand that I've been, you know, talking about a lot lately, I feel like is Massey University. And they have such a, a you know, a great strength in performing arts and the arts in general. Like I think New Zealand just it really does have have something for everyone. It has it all. Yeah. I've I've only been to one of Massey's campus is in Albany, right outside of Auckland. But yeah, and I mean that campus had this like California Spanish architecture there like it was it was really neat and a huge golden chicken wing uh, like a statue of a chicken wing there there's just like all these really cool and funky things but really nice grounds and Massey was doing distance learning since the 80s because there was a mandate to get farmers and people in rural areas education so when COVID hit, it was fine for them because they've been doing it so long. So, you know, if, even if you enroll in, in one campus at the university of, at Massey University, you can take courses at all the, their two other campuses on the, on the islands. We've talked a little bit about, you know, your thoughts on what you wish study abroad advisors knew about New Zealand. But as someone who's had a lot of experience working directly with students, we should probably talk about students as well. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What is one thing you wish students planning to study abroad in New Zealand knew before they arrive in country? A lot of what I talked about, about the deep 
bicultural history, obviously, and that students really interested in, you know, sociology or issues of social justice, knowing that this is a place that actually has a very unique and progressive experience, but also STEM students too. I mean, the sciences at, at the eight universities are all top notch, but they really value experiential learning and getting out and doing field research. And because of that, the universities are well equipped to give these students the state of the art technology and innovative practices in these kinds of research things going on. Everything from my marine biology to geology to, to all of those things. But another thing that's not super well known about New Zealand is they're they're very progressive in in terms of innovation and tech. There's a lot going on with with AI and um, in the quantum space. So there's a lot of innovations in in STEM learning that is happening in New Zealand as well. So uh, again, like literally anything you can think of, but I think that experiential learning is of great value to them. And oh, I also talk about their early childhood education is one of the top in the world and their approach to early childhood education is kind of world renowned. So there's strong education programs and courses and student teaching opportunities there too. So I, I mean, almost any discipline that a student is interested in, I think at least one of the eight universities can offer top-notch and cutting-edge experiences in in that field. So what trends are you seeing in terms of New Zealand? Is there anything coming out of the pandemic that students are asking about or choosing to participate in in New Zealand that maybe they weren't doing during the pre-2020 before times? Like I mentioned, I did go to the University of Maryland's college fair. It was the first fair that I had been to in over you know three years. And yeah, students just coming up. I think that's actually directly related to COVID because of the way New Zealand handled COVID. It kind of put us on the map a, a little bit more. Maybe people who did not know that New Zealand even existed, maybe now has heard something about it simply because of how they handled COVID um, during their, you know, strict lockdown period, but how the deaths were so low compared to other countries and how the government did a, a commendable job of serving its people and saving lives, basically. And our former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, the, the way she was handled it and represented in the media, I think has people interested as seeing New Zealand as the safe uh, as a safe place. You know, we had students who were there who, who didn't want to come home when, when COVID hit because they felt that you know, they would be safer there. So I think the trend is maybe just New Zealand being in the hearts and minds of maybe some more people based on how, how they handled the pandemic and came out of it. What is the most important lesson you've learned over the course of your career? P- people have kind of given me this advice in different ways throughout my life, but just always being open and mindful, kind of having your antenna up about opportunities because you have no idea what could happen. I applied to this job because I went to New Zealand through my my previous position. I did a site visit to New Zealand. I came back and I saw the job posting and I thought I was not qualified for the job at all. I thought so many people would be applying for it. I would be at the bottom of the list and I only had this one experience in New Zealand. But because that experience was so meaningful for me, I was very authentic in my cover letter, just pouring out the experience that I had there and what I thought it meant for international education. And then, you know, two months later, I'm on a plane to go for my final interview. So just really being open to and and just keeping your antenna up about options out there. And then I guess another 
lesson in that story is being your be your authentic self. Don't try and be something that you're not. Don't try and speak from a from a place that you don't know anything about. I you just bring yourself and and what you're passionate about and what you know and and you'll find a way. You know, as you think about education abroad in New Zealand in 2023, what makes you hopeful? Oh, well, what makes me hopeful is that I mean this this semester is the first semester that the borders are open and that we're allowing students in and and my, the universities, you know, we we catch up with them pretty frequently. When last time I spoke to all eight of the universities, they were very excited about where their study abroad numbers were at, you know, after the first in in this first round of being reopened to the world. And I think that's a testament to just how hard we really tried to keep New Zealand in the hearts and minds while our borders were closed saying, you know, it's a, it's a great place. We really want you to come. Just give us a little bit of time. And then we're there. So now a lot of the partnerships and the things we were working on during COVID, I'm excited that we can finally move forward with some of them and create these programs and opportunities for students from all backgrounds to really engage with New Zealand. I can't imagine a better place than to end it than right there. Thank you so much, Du Bois Jennings, for your time today. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you so much for listening to Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Zach McInnes. And make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together.